At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to see all of you and uh, excited for the chance we have to gather today on this Father's Day weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are in the room. Um, it's a privilege for us to be able to spend this day together. Now, there are a lot of things that we are thankful for with our dads, uh, but one of the things that many of you might echo as something that you're thankful about your dads are the, just the wonderful nuggets of life wisdom that come from your, your, your dads, that they come out of their mouths and bless your lives. And so we might call these things, you know, dad speak or dad talk or a dad quote. And, you know, no doubt many of you have some of these that you have experienced in your life and you have been blessed by. And we've had our crack research team connected to the Tonight Show working on this and gathering quotes from real dads around the, the, the United States that we might be able to share today. And so we're going to play this as a little bit of a game as we honor our dads. And so this is a game for everyone to participate in. And what I want you to do is I'm going to put up on this screen a quote from a dad, a real dad. And then I want you to point to the dad in the room that you think would most likely say this, okay? Does that make sense? You're going to point to the dad who would most likely say this. So our first quote, something like this. Whenever I would ask my dad how to spell something, he would respond with, you want to know how it's spelled or how I spell it? All right, so which dad maybe would be the most likely person uh, to, to say that quote? How about this one? One time my dad said to me, son, you need to learn patience and you need to learn it right now. All right, which dad in the room do you think would be most likely to share that little piece of, of wisdom? Or how about this one? Every time my dad sneezes, he yells, Chewbacca, right? Um, you know, in this COVID-19 year, this could actually come in handy. So which dad in the room would be most likely to say something like that? Or how about this one? My grandpa would only slow down at stop signs, saying he would stop twice at the next one. Which dad in the room maybe would be most likely to, to say that? Or how about this? When I was younger, whenever my dad ate corn on the cob, he'd act like a typewriter and go ding at the end of each row. Anyone? Anyone in this room? Okay. Uh, and, and lastly, how about this? For five years, my dad drove me past a hayfield to school. And every day for five years, he would point and go, hey, and then laugh. <laughs> yeah, my son is pointing at me. He knows that that is totally something that I would do. Uh, but, you know, there's all these different kinds of statements that, that we might have our dad say, and many of you could connect to one or more of those. Um, but, you know, when we think about this day and thinking about our dads, I want to think for just a moment about this series that we're in. We began it last week. We're concluding it today, a series called Greater Than. And so I want to ask us one final question today, and, and this question is relating to who is the greatest dad in the room. And so I, I want you to point, Joe, don't do it yet, but I want you to point in the direction of the greatest dad in the room. But before you point, I want to remind you that in our presence is not just those that we see, but also our Heavenly Father. And so if you want to vote for someone in the room, you can point side to side 
But if you believe that the greatest father of all is our heavenly father, you can point up. So on the count of three, let's point in the direction of the father who is greater than. One, two, three. Many, many hands pointing up. And I, I say that today for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons why I say that is to remind us as a group of people who are gathering today who all have varied experiences with our earthly fathers Some of you have an amazing experience with your earthly father. I I have an amazing dad that God has given to me. But for some of you in this room, your dad was absent or your dad was abusive. And so it's a challenging experience as you think about today. But regardless of who you are, all of us in this room have an opportunity to relate to the greatest father of all, our heavenly father who created us in his image and who desires a relationship with us today. And so as we gather today, remembering the Father who is greatest of all, um, let us find our hope and our joy and our life in him. You know, in this series, we've been talking about greater than is what we gain, greater than what we lose. And we have been looking through the example of the Apostle Paul in connection to his relationship with the church in Philippi. And he writes them a letter while he's in prison to encourage them that he has a joy and a hope and a peace that can endure regardless of circumstances because he knows the one who is greater than all. We saw last week a portion of his reflection as he talked about for him to live is Christ and to die is gain. But today we're going to continue our study of Philippians by looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 16, as we're going to see how we might relate to the God who is greater than all. So if you've got a Bible, take it out, open up to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I want to read these 16 verses for us, and then we're going to back up and make a couple of observations for our lives today as we seek to understand and apply this message. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, and he says this. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself may have reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own 
because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, friends, in these 16 verses, I want us to see a couple of things today that remind us of the God who is greater than all and our opportunity to relate to him. The first thing that I want us to see is this. Paul says in Philippians 3, 1 through 11, that Jesus is greater than blank. Now, we'll fill in that blank in a moment, but I want you to think for a moment, how do you think Paul is going to answer this? Jesus is greater than what? Well, we see that in these 11 verses. See, Paul is writing in these 11 verses, and we we see in these verses that he is seeking to let them know how his joy can persist. Remember, last week we talked about all the hardships and all of the difficulties that Paul was going through, and yet he was able to maintain joy, and yet he was able to have a peace that lasted. How did he have this joy? How did he have this peace? Well, it came from the fact that He was anchored to something greater than the things of this world. Now, we see this idea that Jesus is greater than blank. We see that in these verses. And we're reminded in these verses that Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to followers of Jesus. We see this in verse 3, that he is talking to we Christians. He says, for we, he talks in a a first-person plural. Paul says, there is something that is true about me, and there's something that is true about you, Philippians. And by application, we could say there is something that is true about all of us who are Christians, all of us who are following Jesus with our lives. There are some things that are true about us. And Paul lets us know what those things are in verse 3. One of the things that is true about us is he says that we are the circumcision. Now, what is he talking about? Well, circumcision in the Old Testament was the outward sign of your participation in the covenant community of God. All uh, Israeli young men were circumcised to indicate their participation in the community. And so when you talk about the circumcision, you're talking about those who are participating in the group. But when Paul is writing here to the we Christians, the the we that includes you and I, the we that included the Philippians. He's not talking just about an external thing because Paul in other locations and even in this passage is going to anchor this not just to some outward physical symbol, but Paul is going to call the circumcision all of those who are part of the group who are rightly connected to God in Christ. He says, all who are rightly connected to God have a few things in common. All who are part of this group that are members of this current covenant community connected to God through Jesus, what is true about us? Well, he keeps going. He says, what's true about us is that we are those who worship God in spirit. 
Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that the time was coming when those who would worship God rightly would worship him in spirit and in truth. What Paul says in chapter 3 is that we who are in Christ are those who are worshiping God in spirit and in truth. He says, we who worship by the Spirit of God, meaning not just those who have gone through the external ceremony, but those who are in their hearts connected to God. Those who are not just going through the motions, but those who are empowered by the Spirit of God and lifting up the name of Jesus as a regular rhythm and course of their life. That is who Christians are, those who are connected in the Spirit with God. But not only that, but those who are Christians are those who glory in Christ. We saw this same phrase mentioned last week when I brought out the telescope. If you were with us last week, we talked about how one of the the things that happens as we live for Christ is we have the opportunity to magnify him or to help people who are here see Jesus who might appear far away, see him here. The, The idea is that Christians are those who make much of Jesus. Christians don't walk around and tell everyone around them how great they are. That's not a Christian ideal. Hey, let me tell you about how righteous I am. Let me tell you about all the verses I've memorized. Let me tell you about how many minutes I spent in prayer today. Let me tell you about all the sins I didn't do. Let me tell you about all the wonderful things I have done. Christians are not those who walk around and talk about how great we are. That's not a Christian ideal. You know what Christians are? Christians are those who walk around in glory in Christ. There are those that walk around and say, let me tell you about our Savior and how awesome he is. Let me tell you about the forgiveness that is found in him. Let me tell you about the the opportunity that he gives us to live in relationship with him. Let Let me tell you about the peace and the joy I have, not because I'm so great, but because he is. Christians are those who glory in Christ, and because of that, we have no confidence in the flesh, verse 3 tells us. A true Christian does not rely on us. A true Christian, by definition, relies upon Jesus. This is who Paul writes to. He writes to the we Christians. He writes to us who are rightly connected to God because we are finding our confidence in him and not in ourselves. But in the midst of making this statement about the we Christians, Paul also reminds us that there are those who don't accept this proposition. There are those who want to walk among the church and want to try to convince us that it's about our religious adherence. They want to try to convince us that it is about us doing all of the ceremonies just right. They want to try to convince us that our hope is based in us and not in him. Paul says that that group of people in verse 2, he calls them dogs. He says, there are some dogs out there, like a a dog that is nipping at his heels everywhere he goes. He says, there are some people who are coming along behind me who keep biting at the truth that I'm declaring. They keep trying to tear down the reality of the glory of Christ. They want you to take confidence in the flesh. They want you to take confidence in your participation in ceremonies and in rituals. Paul says, beware of those folks. Stay away from them. Don't allow their their agenda to influence what you think is right. Now, as Paul makes that statement, it's possible for some to, to see that statement as Paul basically building a worldview that benefits him. 
In other words, someone might say to Paul, Paul, the only reason why you think that is because you don't have a good religious resume. Paul, if you had a good religious resume, if you had done enough good things, then you would be able to rest on your religious performance. But because you can't rest on your religious performance, Paul, we think you've made up this other theology that somehow downplays your activity. Well, Paul answers that question in an emphatic way. Paul says, beginning in verse 4, he says, okay, you want to play the scoreboard game? You want to play the the, the religion game? You want to play the, the resume game? Let me put my resume up against all of you so that you can see my performance in the past. Well, what does he say? Paul lays out his resume. He says in verses 4 to 6, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. Now, that doesn't mean much to us, but in the Old Testament, someone who was circumcised on the eighth day, that was the first day that uh, a Jewish baby was allowed to be circumcised, meaning he was day one. He was on the birth roll. Some of you are, are, are proud that you were part of the birth rolls of some church someplace. Paul says, I was on the birth rolls of not just some place, but of the place of the people of Israel. I'm a, a member of the group that God has related to from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses. I mean, this, this is me, Paul says. I'm a part of the right group. I was a day oneer. Not only that, but I'm a part of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, again, that doesn't mean much to us, but when he says he's a part of the tribe of Benjamin, what he's saying is, I'm not just a part of some group, I'm a part of a very privileged group. As a matter of fact, he had pride in his heritage. Some of you know, I mean, some of your your children who are in the room, uh, our children's ministry has been walking through the Old Testament over the last year. There was a time where the kingdom of God split into a northern and, and southern kingdom. The kingdom of Israel split into a northern Israel and a southern Judah. Southern Judah was of the lineage of David, Northern Israel had other heritage. There were only two tribes that stayed loyal to David in that day. One of them was Judah. What was the other one? Benjamin. So Paul says, I'm a part of the right family, not just a part of the right church, but I'm a part of the right family. Not only that, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I have my quiet times in the original language is what he's saying. I mean, I, I know the stuff. I've, I've learned it from the beginning. I'm not one of those... Hellenistic Jews who have grown up in a secular culture, but I've grown up in the most conservative of cultures, attended the privatest of schools, know all of the verses, know all of the stuff. Not only that, but I'm I'm a Pharisee as to the law. Now, we hear that and we downgrade that because we don't think that sounds very impressive to be a Pharisee, but to be a Pharisee in the first century was the one who had the strictest adherence to all of the rules. They had rules for the rules, and he kept all of them. He was the most conservative of the conservatives. He read all the right books. He attended all the right conferences. He watched all the right news channels. He did all of that stuff. He was a a Pharisee. Not only that, he wasn't just someone who had ideas in his brain, but he was somebody who lived out his, his zeal in his life. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. In other words, anybody I perceived as an enemy of God, I attacked them. And not only that, he says, as to the righteousness that could be attained by the law, I was blameless. Paul says, you want to play the scoreboard game. 
You want to you play the religious resume game. Let's play it, and I'll show you that I have all of the credentials. And yet, what does Paul say next? Before I get to that, I want to just pause for a second and just think about us in this room. Some of you were part of the church from the time that you were born. You grew up in an environment that was friendly to Christian teaching. Your family was a leader. Your dad was a pastor. Your mom was a Sunday school teacher, whatever it is. You have been educated in Christian things. You went to school. You, you know all of these things. You, you've gone on a mission trip. You've spent your summer. You've spent your spring break going and telling others about Jesus. And most people would call you a good guy or a, a good Christian girl. Paul says, you want to play the resume game. Guess what I have found? Paul says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here's what Paul was doing. He says, everything in my life, the things in my past that you would call a success, the things in my past that you would call a failure, my resume on religion, which is impeccable. He says, all of those things I consider a loss compared to knowing Christ. Earlier in the service, we, we played a game, right? We were going to point in the direction of the dad who was the best. Well, when when our heavenly Father is entered into the equation, there is no comparison. He is of incomparable value and worth compared to all their dads. Sorry, dads in the room, but we don't even hold a candle to the greatness of our heavenly Father. And what Paul is saying is something similar here. He says all of his resume, all of his good deeds, all of his failures, they don't hold a candle compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ so much so that he would count them as a loss compared to knowing him. Well, what is, in what way is knowing Christ greater than all else? Well, one way is in the way of our eternity and our salvation. He says, being found in him, being found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul says the reason why Jesus is greater than all else, the reason why he is more valuable and more worthy than all else is because his righteousness does not ebb and flow. See, our hope for our eternity is not dependent upon our performance. It's not dependent upon our religious resume. It's dependent upon Jesus and his righteousness. Paul had come to realize that his hope for all time was anchored not in, in himself, but in Jesus, his Savior. And it became credited to Paul's account as he trusted in Christ. Friends, this is the gospel, and this is the hope that all of us who are already part of that we that Paul was talking about, 
that we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. Paul says in in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, it's important for me to say this again, and it doesn't wear me out to say it again because you Philippian Christians need to hear it again. Friends, we as followers of Jesus need to hear it again and again and again and again. We need to hear that our hope is found not in us but in him. We can count everything in our lives as a loss compared to what he has done for us. Because it is through His work and His work alone that we might be saved. And as we trust in Him, that is a gift that He has given to us. Now, for those of us in the room who are already part of that we, then we were reminded of that and we were encouraged by that. But guess what? If you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ, know that Jesus is inviting you to be a part of the we. Not on the basis of your resume, but in spite of it. He knows it but he is greater than what you've done, good or bad. And he invites you to trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin and for your hope for all time. Friends, the first reason why Jesus is greater than is he's greater because of his provision of salvation. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, like most religious people today, Paul had enough morality to keep him out of trouble, but not enough righteousness to get him into heaven. It was not bad things that kept Paul away from Jesus. It was good things. He had to lose his religion to find salvation. Friends, that we would come to Christ and trust in His righteousness for our hope. And when we do, we realize that He is greater than all that we might do. That's one of the reasons and the things that Paul points to about how Jesus is greater than But he continues in this conversation, and he talks about another reason why we we know that Jesus is greater than is by what Jesus does for us now in our life as we follow him. As we live out our lives today, we have an opportunity to actually have a relationship with him, to actually know him and the power of his resurrection, to see the encouragement that only he can provide come to us in real time in this life. And not just when things are going well, but when things are difficult and challenging. Notice what he says here is he says that there is a fellowship that we can have with God around suffering. Because Jesus suffered, when we suffer, we can get to know him in a deeper way in the midst of that challenge and that struggle. This is the English Standard Version translation. It says that we may share his sufferings. The New American Standard, I think, has a a better description of this as it says that we would know the fellowship of his sufferings, that we can have a relationship with Christ in the midst of our trouble as we see his resurrection power, encourage, empower, and inspire us to joy and peace and hope even when our circumstances are falling apart. Friends, that is available to us It's part of the reason why Paul would say that he is greater than. You know, this idea Tony Evans uh, indicates when he says, all the religious stuff that we do only becomes valid if knowing Christ is the goal. In other words, our spiritual life is not about just doing stuff and going places and being a part of clubs and experiences. It's about getting to know the God who created us having a real relationship with him that transforms our lives so that we can know that he is greater than all. 
Now, as we think about this, I, I want to give us an illustration to maybe anchor this home a little bit. I, I have with me here an invitation. Very creatively, this says, you are invited. Now, how many of you like to get an invitation to something? Anybody? I see a few. Horton family, I see you all raise your hand there. So I'm going to go ahead and bring this out here. Caleb, there you go. You can, you can be the recipient of this invitation. But, you know, when you get an invitation, why are we excited to get an invitation? We're excited to get an invitation because it is inviting us into a relationship. Whether it's a wedding invitation or a party invitation or a birthday invitation or a graduation announcement, it's inviting us into their world. It's inviting us into a relationship with them. And, and here's what I think we see Paul saying in, in Philippians chapter 3. He's saying that when we experience suffering, when we experience trials, may we receive them like an invitation, an invitation to know Christ more by walking with him through that experience. You know, we've gone through a season of loss, right? Loss of health for some. You're dealing with physical challenges that way dealing with loss of income or economics, loss of peace around us and our circumstances. There's a lot of loss that is going on right now. How can we have a joy in the midst of those times of loss? Paul would say, see those times of loss as an invitation to know Christ more as you walk with him through that experience. The first thing that we see is Jesus is greater than all. But the second thing that we see in this section is in Philippians 12 to 3, 12 to 16, where Paul says that we are to keep running to the one who is greater than all. In other words, how do we take this idea and how do we begin to apply it in our daily lives, in our ongoing participation and experience of following Christ? What does it look like for us to know that Jesus is greater than all? Paul says in verses 12 to 16 that the way that we'll understand if we get this is if we keep running towards the one who is greater than all. Now, let's be honest for a moment. When I talk about receiving suffering and hardship as an invitation, how many of you struggle with being excited about that? I mean, how many of you, when, when a trial comes in your life, how many of you, when, you, when that trial comes, you go, oh, yes, this is awesome. I get to know Jesus more. I mean, we struggle with that, right? When, when suffering and trial and pain comes, we typically go, oh, that's our, that's our first reaction, right? Well, what's fascinating to me is what Paul says in verse 12. Paul says that he also struggles to have that as his first reaction, what does he say? He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. That this, this idea I'm telling you is what can sustain you and encourage you and allow you to have peace and joy and hope. But he says, I don't necessarily leap at that at every moment of my life. I'm not there yet. So what do we do when the perspective that we need is not something that we respond with instinctively? Well, he tells us. He says we need to make our own what Christ has done for us. I love this phrase. 
It's not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I mentioned this to, to Kimberly and to Josh uh, last night. I, I'm not a, a life verse guy. I don't, I don't have like a, a life verse, but I, I'd love it if this was what would be true of my life. That, that my life would be about making my own what Christ has already demonstrated. Friends, I think all too often we, we think about uh, catching Jesus. In other, in other words, we have to make a decision and we, we catch Jesus and then he's like our, our little mascot God to do what we want to do. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, I didn't catch Jesus. Guess what? Jesus caught me. Jesus captivated my heart. He captured my life. And as he has done that, I now have the privilege of living for him. As he talked about living for Christ, he talked about pressing on. And he used as a a picture or a backdrop in verses 12 and 14, the, the idea of pressing on towards a goal. It's a picture of running a race. And what Paul said is, even though I don't instinctively want to respond with joy in every moment, and even if I sometimes question what God is doing when the pain comes into my life, he says, I'm going to choose to continue to run the race. I'm going to press on. And as I I press on to, to run the race, he says, I'm not going to to look at what lies behind me. I'm going to forget what lies behind, and I'm going to strain forward towards what lies ahead. Now, again, thinking of this as the expression of a race, I want to just reflect for a moment on on those of you that that might one day run in a track meet. Now, my my track meet days are long gone, but some of you are still going to run a few races. And for those of you who are still going to run a few races, I'm looking out there. I see some pretty fast-looking people. When you go to run in a race, what direction should your head be facing to run the fastest in the wind? Should it be looking backwards? The answer to that is no. You should not look backwards to run your fastest forward. If you turn your head backwards, ultimately you will veer off course. And what Paul is saying is, as you run this race, do not look back. Don't look back over your shoulder at your glory days. That's not the way to live your Christian life today. Don't look back and go, hey, do you remember how awesome I was back in college? Man, I was really walking with God back then. Do you remember how fired up I was at at student ministry camp? That was awesome. That was when everything really made sense to me. Don't spend your life looking over your shoulder at the things of your past in terms of the good experiences. Instead, look ahead towards Christ and run towards Him. Also, don't spend your time looking over your other shoulder at your past failure. I can't believe I did that. I'm a failure. I've, I've, I've Falling short. If you spend your time looking back at your past failure, failure, by the way, that Christ died for and paid for on the cross, then you can veer off course as well. Paul says, forget what lies behind and press on towards what lies ahead and run towards Christ. He doesn't mention it explicitly, but I think we also could use this analogy to say, don't look around. 
know, oftentimes, if you were to, to run a race and you were to spend your whole race looking this way, you would not run as fast that way. And many times when we live our Christian life, we want to look back and forth and compare ourselves to those around us. Paul says, if you want to press on, run towards the one who is greater than all. Run towards him. Well, how do we run towards him? Really, really practically, what does it look like for us to run towards him, to press on? Well, there's a number of things we might think about doing in response to this. We don't do these things. I'm not talking about joining a club or anything like that. I'm talking about just as a regular rhythm of your life. Are are these the kinds of things that, that you do as you press on, whether you feel like it or not? Because, you know, Paul says, I don't necessarily feel like this, but instead I'm going to press on and run the race as if these things are true. Are we going to press on in our worship? Are we going to spend time singing praise to God and making much of Him and praying and and giving of what He has blessed us with? That's a chance that we have to press on and and worship. Are we going to be in the Word? And again, not read the Word so we can check the box and say, I read my Bible today, but are we going to read the Word so that we can get to know Jesus through it, to get to know God who inspired this Word? Are we going to be a part of community? Again, whether we feel like it or not, are we going to press on into the lives of others, believing that God created us, not disconnected, but with the idea that we would be connected to one another? We're going to make it a priority, connect with others. Are we going to make it a priority for us, regardless of how we feel about it, to connect in ministry and serving others, believing that God has equipped us in a way to do that? It's a way that we press on and run the race. And are we going to press on in in mission to share the good news of Jesus with those around us, those in our networks, but also participating and partnering with others to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Friends, we live our lives in relationship with the one who is greater than all. Remembering and knowing that, Paul challenges us to keep running to the one who is greater than all. Let's press on together. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be together today and to open your word and to read it, to be challenged by it. We pray that you would help us today to have the faith to follow you in this moment. Father, that we would remember just how great you are and that we would Uh, just run to you as a result. Father, we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.